throughout the, the course of my life, I've often ended up living in um, very alternative communities. I spend a lot of time around Glastonbury in the UK, which if you don't know it is a, uh, well, very, lots of hippies and alternative treatments and, and things like this, uh, crystal shops and what have you. And then I lived in Koh Phangan in Thailand, which is like the yoga mecca really in Thailand, as far as I can make out. And, and now I'm in Ubud in, in Bali. So it's funny, I'm always in these places because I don't really think of myself as a particularly new agey person. But I guess if I'm drawn to these places uh, repeatedly, time and time again, then I suppose I, I, I may be of that inclination um, to a certain extent. I will say that in these communities, you get these sort of places where people gather and, and explore all these kind of alternative things. There's some good sides to it. I think there definitely is. I think generally you, people are more aware of their diet and and exercise and, and so on and so on and trying to live a more sort of conscious way of being. But there is also some downsides to it. There's a lot of things that I'm too keen but mostly that's just because I'm a traditionalist. That's the main reason. I'm a traditionalist um, in that I believe people should be uh, involved in a tradition. You know, I think really a tradition is much like, almost like a, a university education in a way. We're gonna decide to be a doctor or you're gonna decide to be a physicist or something like that normally to go through a kind of structured education in order to to learn that thing now of course we can go about the pros and cons of western structured education of course but you get what i mean there would be some kind of training now for me if you're going to be involved in some kind of alternative art whether it be something like qigong or, or acupuncture or yoga or whatever then i would also there's some kind of formal training that a person goes through and one of the downsides that i find with uh, the kind of new age alternative thing is the kind of lack of education, for want of a better word, or lack of traditional um, practice that people have, or a connection to a tradition, rather. The, the fact that people are just happy to just make stuff up, um, or rather, the fact that they're happy to just make stuff up and then pretend they haven't made it up, or pretend it comes from somewhere higher, that it's, it's um, you know, from a, an authority, or from the fact that they were enlightened magically or that it was channeled or it came from Lemuria or whatever it is I don't know I don't know what Lemuria is to be honest but you know what I mean all of these things people talk about rather than actually um, being based in a tradition that's lasted generations generations now of course but that's what I'm saying is I'm a little bit too much of a traditionalist for that and and this definitely applies to medicine which is really what I'm going to talk a little bit about today it's kind of this idea of alternative healing arts, alternative healing modalities. Now, I guess I'm an alternative healer, I suppose. I mean, I don't even like that word. It's a bit weird, isn't it, healer? Um, but because I practice acupuncture and Chinese medicine and, uh, you know, all of the associations that go with this. And, and I use Chinese medicine, obviously, to, to treat people alongside the other things that I do, the energetic arts and Qigong and things. But you know, the, the healing modalities that I use uh, involved structured education, it involved a university education, also involved um, going into Asia to find further teachers who I could apprentice with to a certain extent to learn further skills and so on and so on. And it's an ongoing thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a medical modality that, that's based in, obviously, generations and generations has all sorts of different styles and systems and views, but it is something that, that has a kind of basis to it. So it's not really in the same category as 
to me as these kind of arts you can learn in a weekend or two weekends or um, you know these kind of healing arts that are just kind of made up or whatever I mean every single week that I'm here I I, I hear about a new healing modality or, or something like that and, and people try it and you know generally they say they they feel more relaxed or something and it's been very interesting being here because I've been treating some people sort of informally I'm, I'm not really working as a therapist right now but just some people that word of mouth needed some help and so I went to treat them and um, you know first thing I did was diagnose and what I can normally find according to what I do is there's an imbalance in part of their body in the thermal properties of the body or the way that fluids are being metabolized or the way that one of the organs are functioning or something like this and as soon as that diagnosis is done which is the most difficult part of any process with Chinese medicine it's a diagnosis it's the most important bit yeah but once you have the diagnosis and you 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 get a vague idea of what it is and then you hone in, now you know it more exactly, now you hone in more with your questioning and your tongue and your pulse and your palpation, now you go more and more detailed till you get right down to a sort of very, very specific picture and then you can treat it. So with some of the people that I've been treating, what they've had is very textbook, very, very, very textbook conditions on the whole. A couple of people haven't, they've been a bit more complicated, but on the whole very textbook. And then you, what I'm always curious about is once I've got an idea of what they do and it's very simple, need to change this, da, da, is I always ask them about what other treatments they've had and what were the opinions of the other therapists. And I'm, I'm very careful not to then speak to that patient about my opinion of the other therapist's diagnosis because I never want to undermine anyone. That's just rude. But I guess I'm going to undermine people now. I, oh, well, never mind, contradict myself. Um, but the thing that always horrifies me is the amount of crazy diagnosis that people have, especially in alternative communities. Over the years, I've treated people, not here, but in other places I can think of that have had things like a vertebra out, which could be for a multitude of reasons that's then impinging on a channel or a nerve that's causing reactions, which, you know, if you don't know what that, if you're not familiar with that kind of physiology in the body, I mean, even things like eye vision can flicker and things like this, if there's nerve impingement, like lights and stuff, which to an alternative or spiritual healer, they often assume is something esoteric, but, but it's not. Or sometimes there can be just a weakness in the organ or a weakness in the quality of someone's blood, or it can be dietary or something like that, and something you can switch. And yet the diagnosis they've been told before is it's black magic or evil spirits or it's karma it's a past life experience or someone's voodooed you or <laughs> I don't know like but it's crazy and the amount of these kind of things I hear or sometimes highly complex things like which may be true you know but I'm always amazed at how they get to these kind of diagnoses like oh yes it's because at the age of three you were touched by this person or da 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 and do you remember that event no well of course you don't because you were three but that's the root of your you know they come up with these kind of elaborate kind of past hurts that caused the the damage in the in the current moment all right it might be true because we can't deny that previous psychological experiences do influence your your current mental and physical well-being of course but what i'm implying is how do you know how do you know and the answer that i'm never satisfied with is when people say oh i just intuitively know or i psychically know and it's like well you know that's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Because let's be honest, like, I could intuitive, I, I, I do intuitively know things about the patient. I'll see someone and I know I think, oh, this person has this kind of emotion or, or this person actually they've been abused or this person has an awkward relationship with their father or whatever. You know, you know, and, and I think any therapist does. But what I don't do is trust that 100%. I don't ignore it. 
I keep it at the back of my mind, but I don't trust it because there's a whole series of filters that you go through when you're communicating with someone. I've never met anybody who is pure in their intuition because you can only really ever judge things by your own experiences and you, and you see a degree of yourself in the other person. And, and it's definitely true that I've known therapists that have a particular issue say like we all do but say a therapist has an issue with their mother or something like that maybe that's their thing just as an example i guarantee they'll see other people's issues with their mother more often you know they'll they'll sort of they'll go right that person has an issue with their mother that person has an issue with their mother because they're filtering it through their own experiences and they don't realize it and it's often because intuitively they're picking up something off of the patient that they then recognize in themselves because it stimulates a similar feeling and because that feeling is quite dominant to them that's the one that comes to the fore. Now, of course, with that example, you could probably take 100 patients, maybe three of them have actual issues with their mother and 30 of them have more subtle issues with their mother because everyone's argued with their family. But those 30 more subtle issues are going to come to the fore and be blown out of all proportion because of what the therapist has told them. And it goes for the same with past life things as well. Like, sure, maybe you intuitively have the ability to understand some of that, but to know accurately? <laughs> Don't think so. So... The issue with it as well is it becomes very disempowering for the patient because if there's something that's out of their control, there's nothing they can do about it. So <laughs> if it was in the past, like, all right, you could argue there's things, people will give you methods, but largely you could say that something that happened five lifetimes ago, it's difficult to rectify. You know, you had your head cut off five lives ago, so that's why you can't breathe or, or something nonsense like that. And it's difficult to rectify, you know, or if it's a spirit that's into you, that's difficult to rectify. Or if it's black magic or curse, that's difficult to rectify. That's disempowering. There's nothing you can do. Now, this to me is where, well, as much as anything, like basic Taoist theory or, or basic theory of practice comes in, is that to me, everything is reflected on multiple levels, right? So yeah, we have something on the level of spirit. You could say we have a karmic body, we have a consciousness body, a mental body, an energy body, a physical body. We talk about these different layers of being. Now, what's important for me is the fact that all of them are reflected on all of the others. So if you have something, say these people are right, and you do have something in your karmic body, you do have something in your past life body, you do have something in your energy body, well, you're also gonna see that impact on the physical body, right? So because something is wrong karmically, there's a physical manifestation of that. Maybe my digestive system is screwed or, or something like that as a result of what's going on in the energetic system. So this is where the great strength of this theory comes in because if all of these things are like a loop, you know, I've got energy body, physical body, spirit body, karmic body, past life body, voodoo body, whatever, physical body, I only have to break one of those because if I break one of those little chains in the link, I might find one of that points on the loop and I fix it or I work with it or I improve it. Do you know what will happen? It will pass around the rest of the loop. That's one of the great beauties of of kind of esoteric medical theory. So say for example, you had, I don't know, let's keep it really simple, a psychological issue from your past that was affecting your digestive system. Can you deal with a psychological issue to deal with a digestive system? Yes, yeah, you can, and that's a good way to get to the root of it. But at the same time, you can treat the digestive condition, and do you know what happens? Often, the psychological condition gets better because they're intertwined, they're the same thing. So it's not more surface, more shallow to look at a more dense manifestation of that illness, if you like. I don't see it as that way. I see it as more practical and more empowering for the patient because they can actually do something, you know. So 
for me, this is really where the skill of a diagnosis comes in. And I might be biased because I'm from a Chinese medical point of view, of course. But even if I can see something in your psychology or something deeper, maybe something in your kind of formative psychology, the underlying thing that, that makes up the root of who you are, I can still also see how that manifests in your physical body and that gives me a way to treat it. But that doesn't mean I can't treat the psychology as well. But there's nothing wrong with bringing the treatment to something that can be worked with by the, by the patient because then you are empowering the patient. They're not reliant on you, you know. Whereas if I tell you, you've got four black spirits that are going to need to be exorcised and, well, in Bali, they scrape you with things to get the spirits out quite often. You know, something like that. That's, that's very disempowering. And I think that... I see an unhealthy obsession with these kinds of things. It always feels to me sometimes that people want to be disempowered. Maybe that's mean to say. I, I don't mean it. I don't, that's, don't mean to be mean. I don't deliberately say to be mean. But it's kind of like I see people almost like they want to hand over responsibility. You know, and that's something I see in patients quite often. I'll say to them, like, you've got this thing going on. Uh, but we, we'll do that. We'll do that. And we'll see how it changes. Uh, and then they'll be just look at you. And they're almost disappointed because they're like, yeah, but... I've been told it's the voodoo. The voodoo has got me or something. And, and they really latch on to this kind of sickness or the, the reason for the sickness that they can't do anything about. It's like I'm giving you something you can do something about, but you rather latch on to the thing you can't do anything about. And then you come to realize that a lot of people derive a weird kind of strength from being disempowered. It's odd, isn't it? It's like the human condition is very strange because there's definitely a thing as well that if you identify with a sickness, then your mind will like it as a form of identity. It does, like, this is how mind works, okay? Or sense of self works. It wants things to identify with. So it'll take all the positive things, like I am strong, I am tall, I am youthful, I am rich, I am handsome, I am powerful, whatever, all these things that, that the ego likes to attach to. And our sense of identity may be born from that, but then it will take the more neutral things, the things that you are just, that just are, like I am wearing these clothes, I am from this nation, I am this gender. I would consider those neutral things. Maybe some people think they're more empowered, but I think they're just neutral things. And you'll attach to those, those are your identity. But your mind will also take the negative things. So I have asthma, I have, I don't know, irritable bowel syndrome, I have depression, whatever, it doesn't matter. The, the negative things, the things I would deem negative, because here I, I know the non-dual police are going to be writing, no, there is no self, and there's no positive or negative. Yeah, all right. But subjectively, these things are negative. So these uh, things also become a form of identity for the mind as well. So the mind likes to attach to it. So it's like, I have asthma. That makes me different. Now, I'm not saying you're doing that consciously. Definitely not. I don't think anybody would be stupid enough to do that consciously. We all want to be healthy and well. But subconsciously, your mind can do that because it becomes a form of your identity and it doesn't really differentiate between those things that are positive or negative. It just wants identification. It, it, you could go into that for hours. There's a whole kind of, <laughs> there's a whole thing on the psychology of conscious, subconscious and unconscious attachments and oh, it's big and it's complex. But essentially, that's what the human mind does. And you can see this behavior in others or even in yourself when you start to defend your sickness. And I've caught myself doing this before when I've been injured, you know, and an injury's since left me to go. The injury's dealt with, but then someone asked me, I'm like, oh, I got an injury. Like, why did I say that? It just instinctively, my instinctive reaction was to talk about an injury I had because it's another form of attachment. So somewhere subconsciously, 
my sense of self was being connected to it. And we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, it's because I'm protecting myself from that injury getting worse or I'm being sensible, but often it's a form of identification. We can see this in many places, but Qigong is one. Like I'm against medical Qigong. <laughs> I'm aware that by saying that hackles are going to go up or, or whatever. But I, I, I sh I'll explain. <laughs> I'm not against medical Qigong as a practice, definitely not. Um, and I think it can help a lot of people, but I'm against the philosophy of there being a medical Qigong, to, to be honest. So what I mean by that is, you know, I don't like it. This exercise is to cure your liver. This exercise is to cure your heart palpitations. This exercise is to strengthen your lungs. This exercise is to do And I know I'm contradicting myself because I share exercises for the kidneys. I share exercises for lungs. I know that's true, but I'm still not overly comfortable with that philosophy because what it starts to do is it starts to attach people to the sickness. So it's like, oh, I have asthma, so I'm going to do this lung exercise. And like, okay, fair enough. I might help your lungs. But all of the times that you are anchoring the idea of a lung weakness to the lung exercise, you're subconsciously actually strengthening in many ways your identification with having a lung weakness. Because the very act of having a specific tool for a specific aim implies that the aim is a part of who you are. I hope that makes sense. So it becomes problematic. Maybe I'll give you an example. I have someone who comes for asthma who wants to learn a lung exercise. So they do the lung exercises or whatever. And then I have somebody who has asthma who isn't coming to learn to cure their asthma. They just want to do Qigong. So they do everything, all the Qigong. Do you know whose asthma goes away? The people who just did Qigong, not the one who's doing the lung exercise. They often don't get better or they might get symptomatic relief, but they don't actually deal with the issue. Now, the reason that the person who's just generally doing Qigong gets better is mainly because they're not overly attached to the fact that they have a lung weakness at that time. So they're just doing the art. It always works better. So when I get people ask me, I want something for a specific condition. If they hassle me and they nag me and they make my life unpleasant, I'll give them a specific exercise because that's what they want. But actually, it's not what they need. What they're better off doing is just engaging with the practice as a whole do the lung, do the kidney, do the heart, do the liver, learn to stand, learn to move, learn to build the dantian, learn to open the jaw. Do you know what? As a byproduct of that practice, often the condition goes away. So I will often tell people I'm not a medical Qigong practitioner, but medicine is incorporated through the art. And this is much better because you are now separating yourself from the identification with the disease and you're just doing the art for the sake of doing the art. And it's a lot better place for the body to actually fix, a lot better place for the body to heal. And I never draw attention to it because, you know, I've seen therapists go, see, you're better now, or aren't you better? Or give me a testimonial because this has improved. I think that's unhealthy too. I just never draw attention to it because often what happens is someone will have something to stick with asthma. That asthma will get better because of Qigong. And then you go, can you give me, I've seen this, I've seen this many times. Can you give me an endorsement? Can you write something to say it helped your asthma? And they write it down, draws their attention back to the fact that the art healed them of the asthma. And do you know what? The asthma comes back because the identification with the condition was so bad or so strong, so such a powerful part of them, that once they're reminded that it's not there anymore, boom, up it comes, there it is. So I'd rather have a healthy level of irrelevance to the nature of a condition while you're doing an art like this. This is kind of how I view it. But the caveat to that is that doesn't mean you ignore a condition. If you need medication for a condition, you take medication for a condition. Obviously, that's sensible. There's a degree of common sense there. But I hope you can get what I'm getting at. It's the separation 
from the idea of I am sick, I am identifying with my sickness, that is what you want. And during a practice or even during a treatment like Chinese medicine, I want to isolate people from that idea. In Chinese medicine, that's why I don't treat a specific illness. I am treating your asthma. I will treat the pattern that's in the body. And okay, quite commonly, that's got something to do with the lung qi. But normally there's other things involved. And I think sometimes, or like I did when I started, I thought that the only reason for looking at the pattern in Chinese medicine, or the reason for looking at the pattern was so you had a more holistic view. And that's part of it. But I think that also part of the reason you look at a pattern rather than the disease, disease is because you actually separate people from the disease. You separate your mindset from the disease. Almost like you depersonalize the attachment that the sense of self has to a disease, which is just a, a symptom of something else at that moment. So you can treat the pattern more effect effectively. This to me, it, again, maybe I'm not explaining that very well, but I think Chinese medicine people might get it. Or if they think about it, they might see it, why a pattern has more useful than, than a disease for that reason. You are disengaging the sense of self. It's also part of the reason why I don't really go into detail with my patients about their patterns. So they might have liver blood deficiency or something simple like that. But I don't really go into it too much with them. I'll say, look, there's something going on with this, something going on with that. Here's some things you can do. But I don't give explicit detail because I don't want to give them another thing they can identify with because then they walk out of that clinic and go, oh, I've got liver blood deficiency and this is what it means and so there's a there's a very fine balance that i'm trying to get of people recognizing there's something in needs working with but let's not identify with it let's not make it a part of who you are now another aspect to this this rambling debate on the idea of healing is is this obsession with healing you know it was something i wrote the other day that uh actually kind of I think a lot of people reacted to it. I call it a reaction to it. Some people liked it, some people didn't. But basically what I was implying was, if you identify with having a disease, then the disease will stay, paraphrasing. You know, it becomes anchored into you. But if you identify with needing healing or going for healing, then that becomes a sense of your identification as well. So the healing becomes as problematic as the disease in the first place. And this generated a certain degree of controversy because some people didn't like what I was saying. And yeah, I get that. But what I, was what I was implying, if I talk about this in a longer sense, is that after a while, remember your mind just wants to identify, it wants something to attach to. So I meet people that are attached to disease, but I also meet people that are attached to healing too much. And, you, and I see this very much in the alternative communities, because originally they may have looked for healing, which is quite a vague term anyway, isn't it? Because normally I find those therapists who use the word healing normally doesn't come with a detailed diagnosis. I know that might be a, a weird correlation to form, but look at it yourself. Look at the, some of the therapies. I am a healer. Now, those people that say I'm a healer rather than I'm a medical practitioner, which would be different to me, often what you find is they don't have a very detailed diagnosis. It's quite vague. What are you healing people of? Their shadows, their trauma. What are those shadows or trauma? Shadows and trauma. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Their, their karma, their past. It's all quite vague, you know. And I don't, I just say that's not deliberate, but it feels like the word has been added on to those kind of more vague therapies. Um, and I think that's a little bit where the problem comes in because people start to attach to the vague. So I, I met people here that have come for healing and they might have originally come for healing from Crohn's disease or something like that. Uh, they wanted help with that. But then six months into the alternative community, 12 months into the alternative community, 18 months into the alternative healing community, 
they can't even remember what they came for him and they're just there for healing so I, I will speak to people I say what did you do at the weekend you know I'd bump into my cafe someone what did you go up to oh, I went for healing oh okay what were you healing from oh healing my traumas it's <laughs> like it's vague you know and then you meet them again and again and, and always you see they've been going for healing just healing after healing after healing after healing I went for this healing it was a spiritual healing, a healing weekend. I went, and the list goes on and on. And, and eventually, you find they've been to 300 therapies for healing. And eventually, it becomes a kind of way of life. Just constantly seeking healing from this kind of phantom condition that they never really identify. And then, when you have a conversation with them, there's never been a clear diagnosis at any point. Because maybe I'm just too black and white. I might be just one of those guys. Maybe I'm not artistic. There's no poetry in my soul <laughs> on some level. So. I'm that guy that really frustrates them because I'll sit down with them. Okay, so you've been having all this healing. What do you want the healing from? And they go, well, I got headaches and mood swings. All right, okay, great. So we've got headaches and mood swings. Let's explore a bit. So what is the reason for these headaches? And then I'll try and find a pattern or what is the reason for your mood swings? Let's try and find a pattern, this understanding of the body. But they've never, often never been through that process. It's, <laughs> they've just gone straight from, I have headaches. I have, what was my example, mood swings. And then there's been several stages skipped and then, oh, it's because of dark shadows or trauma in your life. So let's go for healing. And what does the healing involve? A crystal placed on your forehead and we're going to do a bit of chanting and I'm going to shake a stick over you or something like that. It just becomes all vague. And eventually it comes down to the psychic powers of the healer because they know and you don't. And again, that's disempowering because now we have something that you can't really take part in it. it it almost becomes unhealthy. I mean, if it happened on a wider scale, on more than one-to-one healer to patient, you call it a cult. Because if, for example, I have a hall of people, I, if I have 200 people in front of me, if I were to stand on stage and say, you've all got psychic trauma and ghosts that you can't deal with, but I can fix you using my psychic powers. Poof, that would start the border on cult, right? I mean, I'm taking away all these people's power to cure them, cure them of something, heal them of something that that they can't heal themselves of. That's a cult, or it's starting to go that way, you know? It's anything that's massively disempowering like that is problematic. And I think that on a smaller scale, this is what happens obviously often in these kind of medicinal circles and these alternative communities. And that's why I'm a little cautious of when people talk about healings, constantly going for healings. So be careful of that, you know? I think you should be quite, with regards to healings, if you're, if you're interested in healing modalities, go and explore them, of course. But don't get hung up on it. Don't think you always need it because you, I think that you should be quite targeted. That's sensible, you know, because there's this thing I want to get rid of. Maybe I have this pain in the left side of my head I want to deal with. So I target it. I want to deal with that, you know, but it's not... I don't want to get sucked into that circle of delving deeper and deeper and deeper. And if a therapist has given you something very disempowering to do with past lives or something that you can't do anything about, then that therapist is not really, in my opinion, going to do you any good. Now, the caveat to that is perhaps they give you this idea that something's in your karma, but also it manifests on this grounded level that we can do something about. That's different because now they're saying there's this thing but that we can't touch, but there's this other thing that we can do and we'll tackle that. That's different, isn't it? Because they're giving you a way in. And I think a therapist should always give you a way in and give you a clear understanding of kind of what needs doing in order to tackle this issue. Not just paying me a lot of money and repeatedly coming to my clinic for, for karmic healing. Now, don't ever think that I'm against the esoteric, by the way. I'm actually quite 
up there in space <laughs> with regards to my mentality. But I believe that whenever we're dealing with people in a therapeutic or teaching setting, the closer we can bring it to earth, the closer we can bring it to the denser frequencies, the closer we can bring it to something tangible that we can work with, the more useful it is for the patient. If we keep taking them up and up and up into la-la land, which is where I live actually, but if we take people up into la-la land, and then again, you're, you've taken them out of touch with something they can actually do. And, and I never agree with disempowerment. So yeah, hopefully that makes sense. The idea of healing as well, isn't it? It goes beyond kind of physical into psychological, obviously. And, and then the people start talking about sort of traumas that need healing from the past or hurts or injustices that need healing. We need healing. We need healing as a community. We need healing as a society. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. All of that is true. But again, it takes a little bit of like personal skill and discernment in order to navigate that kind of realm because you can get lost in it. Because, I mean, once you don't know what you're healing from, it's something vague, then it's it's difficult, isn't it, you know? And I think as well, like, it makes people look at themselves in this negative way. Like, I have all of this stuff that needs healing. And I've seen this get more obscure because I've seen it start with very personal things. Like, you know, I had this bad thing happen when I was younger and I need healing from that because it's affecting my future outlook on life and my current way of dealing with people. And yeah, that's fair enough. You know, we have issues to let go of. But I think there's a different way into it than people. We'll come back to that. You know, I don't think that that purely just a therapeutic technique is going to deal with that, especially not a woolly one. But then I've seen it get more vague now that my my culture carries trauma that needs healing or my or the my culture carries guilt. So what am I? I'm you know, I'm white and male, so I'm supposed to carry these kind of traumas and I need to or these traumas I've enacted on others maybe. I don't know, I get confused, or these traumas I have because of my privilege. I'm not sure. The problem is I think I'm 40, 40 years old now. And I think what happens is every generation, you just kind of get out of touch with what the new generation are doing. And I think, you know, by saying that, you sound like an old fart, but I just think it, it's part of it. You know, so I think often when younger people get angry at older people, um, especially ones in their 60s or 70s for not understanding the new paradigm, I think that's a bit unfair because paradigms change. They're constantly shifting. So when it comes to these kind of culture wars and things like that where, you know, you're white males, you carry this privilege and you're hurting people, it, it gets to me to a point where I don't necessarily agree, but I also recognize that maybe I'm just out of date. <laughs> I'm just out of date because when I was 20, or when I was a teenager, I was probably incredibly liberal in my views. Now, I don't think that my uh, views changed as I got older, I just think that goalposts shifts. And now my view where I sit now is actually very, very conservative to younger people. But weirdly, I'm very liberal to older people. I've like, it's just a spectrum. So I've been talking to people in their 70s. And when I talk, I, they're like, oh, this guy's a real hippie. And then when I talk to younger people, they're like, oh, this guy's a Nazi. This is just the natural way of things. And I've seen it said that people get more sort of conservative they get older I don't think so uh, well for some surely but I think that often what happens is just views shift and paradigms shift and the narrative that we see the world through shifts and you gradually get out of date because 
because you're not up to speed with all that. So a lot of the traumas that I'm seeing the younger people talk about in their 20s, you know, which I'm not that old, but they are like 20 years younger than me. That's two decades gap often. And, and they're dealing with these kind of inherent traumas they think they, they, they carry. Now, whether it's true or not, like I say, I don't really think it's my place to say because I just think I'm out of date. I'm too old, you know, but I, I don't agree with them, but I could be wrong. <laughs> How's that? Whereas I think it's unfair when the younger generation looks up at the older people and thinks they're prejudiced because I saw a story about like an 80-year-old, I think he was, I probably got this inaccurate, but it was something like this. An 80-year-old made some comment towards a girl about her. It wasn't majorly out of order. I think he said something about all women in science as and then he got fired and there was a hullabaloo about it and it was in the media I remember reading it and and I remember lots of people writing yeah fuck that guy well they won't write that but you know what I mean like screw him fucking sexist 80 year old he's 80 <laughs> this is the fact you have to forget he's 80 so the way that he grew up you know he wasn't being abusive but the thing he said at 80 was to a 20 year old highly offensive and bigoted and sexist fair enough why why does it appear that way because there's a 60 year gap whereas i'm 40 what he said appeared sexist and bigoted on a lesser scale than it did to the angry 20 year olds would be my guess because there's a 40 year gap between me and the 80 year old not a 60 year gap so the bigger that gap if you get what i mean like the bigger the the socio-political way we view the world so it is a weird one but i think as 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 we age you can't really sort of argue too much with the way that the younger people are seeing things because even if it seems fucking crazy to you they're more up to date and do you know what those 20 year olds when they're 60 will appear really fucking nazi like to the new 20 year olds because ideas are constantly shifting or sometimes it swings to the opposite so they'll appear overly hippie like who knows it's change you know and and we all carry our kind of um cultural view to a certain degree that we were born with why am i talking about that i'm on a sidetrack yes that's right because the younger people talk about these kind of inherent traumas that they have due to their their sort of um, just who they are or their community or something like that. And I th the only risky thing I think about it is if they're trying to heal these things, which is often what I see here, people trying to heal these cultural wounds we have, you're treating it like a sickness. You're treating it like an illness. Now, as soon as you get treated as an illness, you identify with it. And as soon as you identify with it, it's very difficult to treat because it becomes anchored into who you are. So rather than this kind of self-loathing, which is what it is, it becomes self-hatred, doesn't it? Or self-dislike if it's on a lesser scale. I loathe this thing, so I've got to heal it. So I've got to go through all this work to heal these shadows. Do you know what? You'll never heal them. You never will, because it'll always be a part of who you are. What is healthier is a certain degree of acceptance of the reality of who you are or the reality of how things are. It's going to blow this little fella off my hand. They land well, don't they? hope so hope he didn't hurt himself now they're light aren't they so they kind of bounce or something ants who knows um yeah i mean you're always going to carry those things like if i'm white and male if this is the thing i'm supposed to be healing from then i'm always going to be white and male well surgery aside you know, i'm always going to be white and male so i'm not going to self-loathe or try to heal these conditions i think what's better not that I have a problem with those things anyway, but if you do have a problem with those things, then I think acceptance of what you are is a lot healthier. 
acceptance of the reality of what things are. And, and, and the same goes for things that have happened to you. And this is going to be difficult for people to hear because maybe you were assaulted, maybe you were hurt, maybe you were bullied, maybe you were whatever when you were younger. And I see people that are stuck in this unhealthy loop of this is something I need to heal. And it, it gets kind of lauded uh, around. And as hard as it is to hear, <laughs> or as pop unpopular as it may make me to say this, I think that actually you just need to accept that that is what happened to you and that is the nature of life. <sighs> That's hard, isn't it? It is hard. There's things that happened to me um, in my life and I fought against them and I had this kind of sense of injustice against them and unfairness and then I, why did that happen to me or how do I, like, that's awful, this and that, and all these kind of things going around and it meant that I carried them. So then I tried to like psychologically deal with it and heal it and I, maybe if my channel's open, this will be dealt with. And eventually you just come to the conclusion that you have to accept it. Oh, that happened to me. And free of the <laughs> cultural tethers or the cultural expectations of how much hurt that's supposed to cause you, or almost the, the lauded celebrations that sometimes society gives you for being a survivor of such things. Survivor is the word or whatever. You know, like, all those things might be nice, and maybe these ideas come from the right place in someone's heart because they enable someone to view their, their condition through a more healthy or positive filter. But ultimately, to me, it still shows a lack of acceptance. And definitely as a cultivator, if I can accept the nature of the supposed trauma that I carry, then what you will find is often it no longer serves any purpose for your sense of identity. Once I've accepted it, I go, all right, well, that's it. That's the way it is. That is a part of, of what has of happened. That is a part of my story. Um, then the self no longer identifies with it to, a certain, to the same extent because it's not causing you the emotional turmoil. Remember, it's the degree of emotional turmoil that the thing is causing you that creates the identification. So if I'm not very upset with something I have, it's like, oh, I got this thing, my left arm's weaker than my right or something minor, then it's not, I'm not that worried. There's not that much of identification. But if they're like, oh my God, my left arm is just hideously weak compared to my right and I've got that level of emotional trauma, it becomes something that I identify with to a far greater degree because I haven't accepted that weakness. Where as soon as I accept it, you'll find it serves no purpose anymore because it's nothing you can identify with. So often it starts to fade, it starts to go. So then the real trauma healing starts to take place. So that means, obviously that's for psychological things more than, you know, a leg dropped off or something. But obviously the psychology around losing a leg would be applicable here, I guess. So I think what I'm trying to get at is like, obviously we have tools that we can use, energetic practices, physical practice, we, good diet, you know, good loving relationships with the people around us and a life we enjoy and all those things we can take care of, of course. But most of the healing that you need to do of your fractured, fragmented traumas and personality and identity needs to start with acceptance of the way things are. There needs to be a almost an emotionally neutral look at the nature of who you are to try to understand your identity, to understand your sense of self with no judgment, none of society's judgment, none of people around you's judgment, none of the trimmings of what's supposed to be painful for you or what's supposed to be formative. Just look, you know, and even ignore sometimes your own kind of reactive quality to what comes up and just look at it and go all right well that's that that happened and once you come from that place 
that is a more efficient way for the healing to start to take place. And you know what? You don't really need a therapist for that. You don't need a practitioner. You just need the ability to be sensible and apply your own awareness to the way you are, to look inside and just see and accept, okay, that's a part of the nature of life. That's a part of the story. And then those things will, you'll become free from. It's this neutral ability to look at yourself rather than a reactive emotionally charged upset screaming snot and phlegm and body fluids in all direction kind of reactivity that is going to be the root of you starting to shed your identification with these kind of conditions and this is where most of the <laughs> i don't even like the word healing starts to take place and in the meantime a therapist may be able to assist you but i think a therapist should try to assist you with things you can actually do things you can do for yourself, advice and guidance to lead you in that way, as well as maybe, you know, someone like myself, I might give you herbs or, or put needles into your, your body, which seems like a rather sadistic way to assist you, doesn't it? But, you know, to open up the channels and make the energy flow and discuss these things with you a little bit. But ultimately, it's your self-acceptance that's the issue. So, yeah, that's just my rambling thoughts on, on healing and medicine and why you need to be careful in that kind of world that you don't get caught up in this a therapeutic loop of like healing for the sake of healing or having a kind of vague way at looking things or being disempowered when you get involved in medicine or you know and understanding that acceptance of something from a neutral point is very important in this process as well because I see a lot of sick people because of the slightly therapeutic nature of, of what I do as a Chinese medicine practitioner even as a Qigong teacher even as a Tai Chi teacher I talk to a lot of people and I think that majority of people that have these kind of illnesses everything I just said there applies vast majority and they might not be able to see it themselves but if they actually scrutinize what's going on a lot of what I talked about for these last 45 minutes or whatever it was I think are applicable and if people could apply some of what I said only in my opinion so don't get angry I'm not stating facts I'm just stating my my opinion so <laughs> my opinion could be wrong I accept that uh, I often am but if you I in my opinion if you could apply some of what I said to the way that you view yourself or your sickness um, or the way that you are then I think that actually a lot more ease would start to arise and the true healing if we use that word uh, would actually start to arise in people it might sound overly simplistic but I'm a simple guy <laughs>